welcome to the second of our meditations uh, in the new year. I'm enjoying preparing, but when I have done all this, nothing makes sense. This has been last week and this week exactly the same. So I'm assuming that nothing makes sense to you too. And if that be the case, then uh, there is no problem. Because um, the problem is when some things make sense, then you question it. If, you don't, if, it, if nothing makes sense, then you don't have to question it. So that is uh, the case. The other thing that we don't do is we don't pray before we start or at the end when we finish. That is deliberate in that I like to think that what we do on a Sunday evening for an hour here is a continuation of everything that we are, especially on a Sunday. Of course, as Christians, we call it a day of worship and so on. And um, I just like to think that we don't have to do this fellowship study as a new thing. It is what we've been experiencing the whole day for me and some for some of you, the day starts and some of you, you are through the middle of it and so on. What I'll do is I'll just share with you a few slides that I shared last week and then uh, make a reference to some of the things um, I shared with you and then go into the new study, hoping that it makes some sense. This is what we've been looking at and we called it the strange God. And I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me is something that we looked at. The third century theologian Oregon observed that what each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. Basically, Oregon, a great defender of faith as well, who lived in the third century AD, what he was saying was, if God is not above all else, we have a problem. But this is what we have kind of focused on, saying more than once, uh, Oswald Chambers, the great Scottish preacher, more than once, God has brought me face to face with a strange God in my life. And I knew that I should have given it up, but I did not do it. I got out of this crisis by the skin of my teeth, only to find myself still under the control of that strange God. I am blind to the very things that make for my own peace. It is a shocking thing that we can be in this exact place where the Spirit of God should be having his completely unhindered way with us. And yet, we only make matters worse, increasing our blame in the eyes of God. Today, we will see that last part, how wittingly or unwittingly, intentionally or unintentionally, we end up having increased our blame in the eyes of God, rather than increasing the favor of God in our lives, the blessing of God in our lives. We end up feeling guilt shame and fear. This is what the strange God does. It is interesting, and this is something that I spent a bit of time last week on. I know that I should have given it up, but I didn't do it. What I shared with you last week was that choice is not with us. And I suggested something else, and uh, we will look at that. 
So we looked at these questions, why is this God strange? What does this strange God do? What do I get out of this relationship? And how do I get out of the influence of this strange God? So these are some of the questions that we tried to answer last week. I think one of the most powerful strangeness of this God is the power it has over me. And I mentioned that it is a bit like that reference in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer says, leave aside the sins that cling so closely. And I mentioned that these are the sins or burdens, the weight that we don't like, but they're like us. They like us very much. We think we have got rid of them, but we haven't. This God is strange because of its unseemingly powerful hold on my life. Even if I desire to give it up, it refuses to give me up. And that is the strangeness of this God. This God is strange because it prevents me from seeing what I'm looking at. And that's why we use that title. But now these things are hidden from your eyes. Because the strange God has an amazing way of covering up our vision and preventing us from seeing what we are looking at and seeing something that we are not looking at. We talked about the Envy Twins, if you remember. The idea of Envy Twins from René Girard. Uh, another time I will talk a little bit about René Girard in, t in relation to desire or mimicking. We, uh, we looked a little bit last time when it came to David, how David mimicked Goliath and wanted what Goliath had, though initially that was not his purpose or his desire. The other thing that we looked at was self-redemption. We will look at that a little bit again today. What do I get out of this relationship? This strange God leads me to guilt, self-loathing, self-pity, regret, and restlessness. He said that it never leads me to still waters. It never allows me to lie down by the green pastures because I am restless. I never have enough. This strange God is the opposite of everything of the true God who said, let not your heart be troubled. Instead, all I hear is, you have to do more. You have to do better. You are a failure. I think some of you had a little problem with how to get out of the grip of this strange God. And I suggested that it is not easy to get away from this strange God. And the best tactic is to get expelled by the strange God. But where I cause confusion would be because I never defined what or who this strange God is. And that was intentional because I didn't know and I still don't know. However, I would like to say that when we speak of the strange God, we are not talking about a habit, a habit like alcoholism or uh, uh, substance abuse or anything like that or addiction to something. It is the reason, the force, the compelling thoughts that are going through my mind that leads me to this addiction. So we need to go one step back, one step further. So don't focus on my addictions or my habits or the things that I cannot get rid of, even if it is anger or jealousy or uh, greed or whatever or uh, as I said, substance abuse or whatever. It is none of that or pornography. Well, I'm talking about the God that leads us to these instead of the God who leads us to the uh, green pastures and still waters. We need to ask ourselves, what is it 
that is leading me. So when I say expelled by the strange God, I'm not talking about being expelled by a habit, but that which is before it, so that we don't have to depend on the habit for what we are looking for. When the strange God cannot control us, it will expel us. And we read in in the Gospels that after the third temptation, then the devil tempted him no more or left him. We also notice that how the Pharaoh and the Egyptians expelled Israel. They were not let go, but they were asked to leave. They said, please go before we are destroyed. We hear in some ways the devil crying out or the demon possessed man crying out saying, do not do this to us. The devil entered the religious leaders because they were open but the devil did not enter Jesus because there was no room. Ways to get expelled by the strange God, unrelenting trust in the character of God, faith in his never-ending love, no matter how far you go away, no matter what you are mired in, habit, addictions, whatever, knowing that God is still with me and God has not abandoned me. As Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Instead of failures, we must see the glory of God. Holiness is not what I achieve with my hard work, but allowing God's grace to work within me, even against my own will and desire. And finally, I said that we remain unexpelled by this strange God because we have not produced sufficient reasons for our expulsion. When a student produces sufficient reasons for being expelled, the principal will expel the student. So we have not produced sufficient reasons for our expulsion. Every time we demand to be expelled, the strange God demands a short course notice. It says, show me the reason why I should get rid of you, why I should expel you. We also looked last week at the fact that there were 10 plagues, but only at the last one, Pharaoh expelled the people of Israel. God is dead. Long live gods. It's like saying the king is dead. Long live the king. The Sunday school teacher asked, where is Jesus? No one answered. She pointed at Johnny and said, son, you know where Jesus is, don't you? Now tell us where he is. Uh, Johnny became confused. He had no idea where Jesus was. Point your finger to where Jesus is, if you don't want to say where Jesus is. She was hoping that he would point to his heart or something like that, because that's where Jesus is, isn't it? The teacher insisted. At that, Johnny ran out of the class and ran home. Breathless, he arrived at home, crying out loud to his mother, who met him at the door. Ma, they have lost Jesus and they think I have hidden him and I have something to do with it. I have no idea where Jesus is and I'm not going to go back to Sunday school. In 1882, Frederick Nietzsche wrote The Parable of the Madman, a story of a madman running into a town, holding a lantern and screaming, I seek God, I seek God. The townsfolks laughed at the stranger, who they thought was mad, upon which the stranger cried out, God is dead and we have killed him. Now this is where the term God is dead originated and uh, has been ascribed to Nietzsche. This We say that Frederick Nietzsche is the first one to declare that God is dead. While this phrase has been used as a form of triumph against religion, 
This wasn't what Nietzsche was actually trying to say initially. This is similar to how certain uh, political movements took Marx's line that religion is the opiate of the masses, to be a phrase against religion because opium is a drug that makes people lazy and delirious. Marx was really not saying that we are addicted to something. What he is saying is God, as he is presented by the churches, makes people inactive, lethargic, lazy, which is not true in that it shouldn't be like that. The God Nietzsche declared dead was not the God of the Bible, but the God of the church. Hence, he suggested that church buildings will continue to exist, but only as the sepulchre of the dead God, which I think is true in many ways. Further, Nietzsche suggested that since God is dead, human beings should become their own gods. He promoted the idea of the Superman or the Overman. I can't pronounce a German word for it, so I don't attempt. This is the independent rational thinker who views and evaluates everything from their personal subjective point of view without any reference to religion or ethical codes. For this reason, Hitler and the Nazis loved Nietzsche's ideology. In fact, Nietzsche's sister was a great fan of Hitler and a great advisor. And I was reading that she rewrote a lot of Nietzsche's stuff to fit in with Hitler's idea of the Superman or the super race. It became the emblem of the super race who live by their own values, delight in, this, in their superiority and just pity the weak, vulnerable and the sick. For Nietzsche, Christianity is a deterrent to human progress and described it as hostile to life. His answer was that human beings are gods in their own right. However, what Nietzsche, the clever philosopher, overlooked was the simplest and most obvious of all existential realities. If human beings cannot live with one God, how will they tolerate millions of gods? And that's my question to Nietzsche. You know, if we are all gods, we have a problem because we, are, we have all become gods because we can't live with one God. So how can we tolerate millions of gods? Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Idi Amin and scores of others have demonstrated that the answer is chaos and death when we all make ourselves gods. God of the Bible is not afraid of human beings taking his place as a personal threat. There is no threat. God doesn't feel threatened by anyone saying they are gods. He is concerned about that possibility not for personal reasons, but as a human crisis. And that's what worries God when we say, I am God, or there is no God. For God, it is not a question of displacement or competition, but what God is concerned about is human beings going the wrong way, the way to destruction. It is the same as the attitude of the two sons in the parable of Jesus. They can only rebel against their father. They can never take his place because they will always be sons and not their father. One rebelled against the father and went away. The other in rebellion refused to come in. But they are still not father. They are sons, two sons, no matter what they think. An idol is an imitation of God. It is an object that humans worship 
in place of God. It is a corruption of the real. Romans 1, 18-32 is a description of what actually happened in the Garden of Eden. If you really study, and I hope you do, Romans 1, 18-32, you will find what actually happened in the Garden of Eden. We read, The wrath of God, this is Paul's writing, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So that's one of the first things that happened in the Garden of Eden. Truth got suppressed. As someone has said, the first casualty in a war is truth. And that's what happened in the garden. Truth was suppressed. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Verse 21. The second problem in the garden. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. We call it rebellion. They knew who God was, but they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, Brother Nietzsche et al., they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. It's very important to understand when it says God gave them over, it simply means God allowed the younger son to go away. It doesn't mean that God handed over these people to something terrible. God gave them over means God took away the protection or allowed them to go away. It is what God had created human beings for, free will. The free will is allowed to operate. God allowed the free will to operate. That's what it means. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity of degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's the third thing that happened in the garden. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator. So three things. Suppress the truth by their wickedness. Second, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him. Third, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served their own creation. Now, let us go back to the garden from the Romans to Genesis. Genesis 3 verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The suppression of truth with wickedness that Paul talked about in Romans 1.18 this is what the devil did as he tempted the first man and first woman. The serpent said, you will be like God. But they were already in the image of God. See, this is a suppression of truth. They were already in the image of God. We will look at that. Second, having known the goodness of God, did not glorify God or give him thanks. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, which we just read before. This is the same sin of Nietzsche. Having declared God dead, he suggested that we become our own gods. 3. The exchanging of truth of God for a lie and worshipped their own creation 
instead of the creator. Romans 1.25 So what is sin? Sin is hiding the truth about God. Sin is rebellion or lawlessness against God. It is Nietzsche's superman. Sin is making God a liar, as we read in 1 John 1.10 and 5.10. Every sin starts with a deception and ends in the creation of an imitation God, a fake God. So let me read that again. Every sin starts with a deception and ends in the creation of an imitation God. God created us in his image. We create idols in our image. Let us see how this works. You certainly will not die, said the serpent to the woman. The Hebrew word, now again, I don't know how to pronounce. I never learned Hebrew. But the Hebrew word used here can mean serpent or it has a very strange meaning, very interesting, or the diviner. Very interesting. The diviner means the one who falsely claims to reveal God's word. So that is another way to interpret the word, apparently Hebrew word, which can mean the serpent or the diviner. One who falsely interprets, falsely claims to reveal God's word. So that's what the serpent was doing. He was pretending to be a diviner who reveals God's mind. He says, did God really say that? I will tell you what God really said. You don't understand it. We have been made to believe that the devil was saying God is a liar. No, devil did not say God is a liar. Very important to understand that. Don't believe him. No, devil did not say don't believe God to Adam and Eve. He did not say God is trying to scare you. He did not say eating the fruit will not lead you to death. He did not say any of that. That is not what the serpent said. This is how we have interpreted it, but it's not. that's not what he said. He did not say... God is a liar or don't believe God or anything like that. The devil, the snake, the diviner, the one who falsely claims to reveal God's word, knows very well not to attack God head on. He never attacks God head on. The lie here is a distortion of truth. I like to paraphrase the words of the devil like this. Uh, my paraphrase is never very accurate, but uh, it, it, to me it communicates. So I'm paraphrasing it like this. You don't know your God well. Your creator is kind. He is long-suffering. He will even die for you. It's all truth, is it? This is all truth. He will go to the end of the earth to protect you. All this death talk is to keep you under control and prevent you from exercising your free will. Your God-given human right to rebel against him. Listen to me. I know him. I have stood against him. I have rebelled against him long time ago. And I still continue to rebel. Do I look dead to you? Nah, you will not die because I'm not dead. You know why? Because God is good. If your God was not a good God, you would be gone in dust. You will be poof, finished. You see, this is how the world has attacked. Why is Christianity weak? Ask Nietzsche. He will tell you. Ask Marx. He will tell you it is opiate. You know why? Because Christianity brings peace. It brings joy. It brings happiness. It doesn't create a superhuman race. There is no need for a superhuman race because God has already created a race that is good. Everything God created was good. There is no further creation needed. So the, the lie, the deception, the devil was not attacking God. He was taking the character of God and turning it around and saying, don't worry, you're not going to die because your God is a very good God. He got to the end of the earth to protect you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
What shall separate us from the love of God, says Paul. Devil said exactly what Paul said, Jeremiah said, David said, and Jesus said. For God so loved, he gave. The only difference is, how should I respond to this great God? The devil said, rebel. You can rebel. Nietzsche did that. Marx did that. All the atheists do that. Why? Because they don't die, do they? See, they don't die. And this is exactly what happened. Listen to me. I know him. I have stood against him a long time ago and I still continue to rebel. Do I look dead to you? Asked the devil, the diviner. There is no judgment. There is no punishment because God is good. Now, this is the modern theology. God is so nice. He can do whatever you like. You will all end up happily living ever after. This God of yours is too loving and too kind to make you suffer the consequences of your actions. So the first deception, I like to call it, is the denial of the doctrine of divine judgment. That's what the devil did. There is no judgment. You are free to do whatever you like. No consequences. And that is the world today. How easy it is. What has happened in the garden is what Paul described in Romans. And that's what's happening to us today. So the first idol that must die is this hubris, this arrogance against God, that I will not suffer the consequences of my actions. There is no one who can make me accountable for my actions, good or bad, because there is no God and I am God. You certainly will not die. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the first deception was the denial of the doctrine of divine judgment. The first idol that must die is the hubris that I will not suffer. I don't have to give an account for my actions. The second deception was desiring something they already had. That's a deception. This is how the devil works, isn't it? They were already in the image and likeness of God. We know that because Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In his own image, God created them. And he created them male and female. They were already in the image and likeness of God. So there was no need to eat the fruit to become like God. Why do you want something that you already have? Well, we have an answer for that. It is called greed. But it is also lack of dissatisfaction. So I would say the second idol that must die is the desire to live like God without God. Eating the fruit did not make them like God because they were already like God. It's interesting that the temptation that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 to 11, it's exactly the same. The devil said, you can have all this if you fall down and worship. And Jesus said, but I already have all this. You see, I already have all this. Why do I have to have all this? I don't desire all this because I already have it. I am the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I was there before all creation. Everything holds together with me. I have the power. You know, so the temptation was, you fall down and worship, you can have all this. And Jesus said, but I already have all this. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve could not say that. And unfortunately, we don't say it. So this is where we fail. You can have all this. Jesus said, but I already have all this. You cannot tempt God. Because I am God. 
and you can't give me something that I don't have. And if we have all the riches in Christ, the devil cannot give us something more than what God has already given to us. Eating their fruit did not make them like God. The snake promised that if they were to obey him, their eyes will be opened. Unfortunately, all they got in return was shame and fear. Until then, those two emotions were not necessary. There was no need for shame because shame happens in the presence of wrongdoing. Fear happens in the presence of punishment. So until then, there was no wrongdoing and there was no punishment. So there was no need for those emotions. They had nothing to be afraid of and they had nothing to be ashamed of. We are all children of God. The difference is in the biblical concept, we do not replace the creator God, but we are the dwelling place of God. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God. There is nothing eating of the fruit can give me that I already don't have. There is nothing that rebellion can offer me that I don't already have. God has given to me all this right at the beginning because everything God created was good. So what is the second deception? The second deception is the denial of the all-sufficiency of God, that God is sufficient for all my needs. He has provided everything for me. I can rest. This is the green pastures. This is the still waters that David talked about. In Christ, I can be content. Christ is my sufficiency. And Paul understood it when he said, My God shall supply all your needs. There is no need to rebel against God. The second idol that must die is the desire to live like God without God. I am God. I can do whatever I want. And what I do is right. The desire to live without responsibility, corrupting God's blessings in the human right. What we read in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In his own image, God created them. He created them male and female. It is repeated, interestingly enough, in Genesis chapter 5 and further down in Genesis chapter 9. The same was every time the world goes into a little, what shall I say, uh, a rattling and, uh, you know, um, get, beginning to get into trouble. God reminds them, hey, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. You are created in my image. All this rattling and unrest and rebellion is not going to give you anything more than you already have. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, we read, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And just there is a little addition. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And he blessed them. There is no need to rebel. God's blessings rest on us. The blessing was to be God's representatives on earth and rule the earth on his behalf. When the second idol dies, our eyes will be open to see how blessed we are. But until the second idol dies, we will not be able to see the blessing of God. You can name it, you can claim it, but we are not going to experience it until the second idol dies. This is the sin of Nietzsche, who said, God is dead, long live God. This is not unlike saying, the king is dead, long live the king, because you replace the dead king with a new king. This practice comes from the assumption that there must always be a king. When one king is dead or killed, 
another king takes his place. This is the first corruption of the human race, taking the place of God. Shall we spend the next 10 minutes just reflecting on what we have heard maybe? Why don't we?